Today's topic is brought to you by the Inner Nicola Law Firm, here to defend shitty situations. Yeah, I don't like legal topics. They're not as fun as the other topics. What? I promise you, like people will get engaged with this one. Like, all right, like we'll go like educational every other and like give them something that and that is fun. So here, here we go. I'm gonna tee it up. Charles, have you ever said to someone, uh, "Say my name one more time, and I'll sue your ass"? <laughs> now look, Rocky, Rocky Five. Rocky five. I, I'm not a fan of the attorney threats, and I'm not a fan of attorneys um, starting lawsuits that don't benefit franchisee, don't benefit franchisor. I got to tell you, I love when attorneys have normal conversations. But you know what? There's plaintiff's attorneys out there that if you give them an opening, even if you've done nothing wrong, they will be intent, even if it's to make $5, to take apart your franchise system. Let's get at it. All right. So the reason, well, I mean, you're, you're going to know this better than I, but in my opinion, the reason someone says I'm going to sue you is because they feel like they're, they've been backed into a corner and that threat is the only thing that is going to get the other side to listen. Is that an accurate statement? It's not the only way, right? But they feel that way. Well, Let's frame this up a little different, right? And I may be too much on the emerging end. Good defense is a good offense, right? You need to stay ahead of your franchisees, franchise relationships, franchise advisory councils, FDD that gives them the right expectations. What I see and fear is when you have a growing franchise system, one or two franchisees fall off, then others fall off. And then when they start gathering, right, groups and numbers and attracting plaintiff's counsel, that's when trouble happens, whether you've done something wrong or not. That's when all of a sudden the compliant franchisee that was happy yesterday is not happy anymore. And they're all ganging up and it, it has a snowball effect. That's what I worry about. It's I'm never worried about the one-on-one, -on -one, I'm pissed off, I'm gonna sue you, I'm backed in a corner. Look, you try not to back anyone into a corner. Certain franchisees you may need to make an example of. But I worry more about that systemic impact where they, you know, it becomes a snowball effect. That's where brands, not legally, but monetarily and system-wise, need to worry. You just un unpacked or you opened up your backpack and now I have to unpack. Okay. okay. So let's start with the emerging franchisor. So you said uh, strong, strong FDD. So let's start there. Yeah. Mistakes that are made is you skimp on the FTD or you go to uh, some like low cost solution. So you cut corners at the beginning stages that sets you up for liability later on. Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, in our industry. Well, and so there's two levels there, Nick, right? You may get the legal wrong, okay? But also you may not be structuring your FDD the right way about expectations, estimated initial investment, ongoing marketing, right? Are your franchisees onboarding 
with the expectation they're not going to have to spend money on marketing. Everyone has the throwaway of spend 2% on initial marketing. Maybe you have some grand opening. I think the biggest factor for startup franchisors, biggest litigation factor is you're not establishing the right parameters or expectations about what they need to spend on grand opening, what they need to spend sustainably to grow sales. Um, and and that, that I see often. And that I attribute to poor planning. More to unpack. You keep on like you open up this like awesome backpack, and there's more in there. Okay, so you said in there. Let's talk about the the investment costs and the. We'll start with investment costs, and we'll get into marketing. So the investment costs, like part of the consultancy that's happening on the front end, is telling franchisors, for argument's sake, if you're below a hundred grand, you're going to have an easier time selling this thing. So if you're truthfully not below a hundred grand, you got to be careful on that, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So how does a franchisor that's going through this process, how do they cut the debt? Well, I, I mean, I think you need to be as a franchisor, you really need to internalize that reserve capital requirement in item seven, right? You know, to have that number, right. And, and then again, you need to, I think startup franchisors, especially service-based and some we talk about, should be reserving a set amount of capital from that initial purchase. The franchisee pays it to upfront pay for marketing, at least for the first three months, right? I think that's big. So I think, you know, everyone overlooks the the, the additional capital requirement, but I, I really think FDDs need to think through more marketing requirements, grand opening marketing. All right, now let's go backwards because the reason it gets overlooked is because I'm trying to keep the cost down because when you're you're comparing my brand to anybody else in the competitive space, they're doing the same thing. So I'm fearful that if I guide the franchisee the right way, I won't have any franchisees to sell to. So it is like the, to, to stabilize best practices from your expectation in the FDD. I mean, I, I personally, I agree with you. Like tell the franchisee, like, make them be more qualified than they are. They come yeah. to the table barely able to put together enough money to buy your brand. You're going to be in trouble, right? Yeah. And you know why? I mean, if you're in the same industry, your competitor is $15,000 lower or 20,000. And it's because you just blocked off 20,000 for a marketing package. You know, the franchisee that doesn't sign with you because of that, you just avoided litigation or poor validation. And, you know, for the right franchisee, you just validated why they should trust your brand. Totally. Okay. So now we got some bullet points on the FTD, which is an important uh, part of the model. And like for suppliers out there, um, there's also your contracts. Uh, like our contracts have an agreement that it's a 60 day out so that I have time to transition should it not work out so it doesn't affect our business. So like we've put things in place so that it is written down, this is an agreement between our company and whatever company we're servicing, so that when we get to that point, if we ever get to the point of, hey, this is not gonna work out, we could go back to the original agreement. I mean, that's, that's part of these agreements that are put in place. Like, so, so there's something that you said in here about playing the defense side, like plan for a rainy day, hope that it never rains, right? Yeah, and that gets to compliance too, right? So internally, we have discussions all the time, unsatisfied franchisee, or maybe they weren't a good fit, or their lifestyle changed. Do we sue them? 
if they want to terminate, my advice typically is no, let's let them out. Let's get a mutual release and let's go our separate ways. As long as they agree to abide by their post-termination restrictive covenants, they're not establishing a competing business. So I've seen lawyers get too aggressive, especially if they're dealing with a non-franchise lawyer litigator. I've seen way too aggressive attorneys for a startup emerging brand. Um, and sometimes founders of those brands that take it too personal get too involved, but you know, you need to focus on your validation and you need to be very cautious because you're going to be asking a judge to side with either you, a perceived corporate entity or an individual that already lost money on a franchise. So, you know, but getting back to the good offense, right? You need to keep your franchisees in line, meaning get your operational notices out there. If there's defaults, if anyone is violating the non-competes, you have to sue them, right? You can't let that happen or else you're invalidating your good franchisees and everything they're working toward. I mean, this is great. Like this is building out the, the Charles workbook. Like I'm trying to work through your brain here and pull it all out. Okay. So we got some operational excellence from a legal standpoint. Uh, what do you have to do to protect it? Now you mentioned something else about the advisory council. So that are you are you recommending that you get that advisory council going sooner than later, so that you do have a group of franchisees that are able to have some sort of voice or represent the franchisees, or what what are you mitigating in that process? You know, I, I look at you know in a franchise agreement, I think a good dispute resolution is mandatory uh, non-binding mediation followed by arbitration. Right? For me, I view the franchise advisory council above all of that or a precursor to all of that, which is, I think 90% of the problems could be solved in the advisory council or preempted there. I mean, you need to take the pulse of your franchisees, listen to what they're asking, right? And, and, and I think it's a good, yeah, you know, it's the canary in the coal mine, right? It's an early warning system. Plus it gives, you know, it's good operational elements of, you know, good relationships with franchisees. So then it all circles back to, this is not a legal issue. This is a franchise awarding um, compliance issue. That on the front end, are you qualifying your candidates correctly that when they come in, they're showing scalability, which means they're gonna be stickier in your organization, which means the likelihood of it going uh, south is, is less likely, which means the, the chances of a lawsuit are minimized. Yeah. And then, you know, I love it because then you go even further back and it's what's your brand story and really, you know, what's that entire process? Yeah. So it turns out the legal elements are the after effect of 10 other things you've done before that. Right. So you're giving advice, current franchise, like established franchise or emerging franchise, or it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's not, not relevant in the situation, but you're giving advice. I would imagine you're saying pay a little bit more to, to dot your I's and cross your T's at the beginning to mitigate risk later on. Yeah. I, I, I mean that, but everyone thinks they've done that, right? You could go, look, I, I, we, we have, we'll redo FDDs and we have clients that started with a franchise consultant that somehow magically did the legal in-house or through their attorney. Those are the situations where you see, you know, T's not crossed and I's not dotted and problems arising. Generally, people have okay agreements. 
right? It's what they do with them when the problems arise. Meaning, if you have a, if you're in year one and you have five operational items the franchisee is not complying with, I'm sure you're going to speak to them on the phone, and that's fine. But legally, let's document that, right? Let's get out a notice. We're not terminating. We're setting the framework because two, three years down the line, issues persist and you are forced to go to litigation. You've built your own evidence, right? You've built years of notices and, and, and you want a judge to get to the point of what else do these people need to do? I mean, they've been reasonable at all these times. I also tell clients, if our agreement says we need to default them three times before we terminate, I want to do it nine times because what I don't want to do is get a year into a lawsuit and then a judge or an arbitrator claim we didn't comply with, you know, termination notices or give them enough of a chance. All right. Something else to unpack. Can you, can you rebound from a default notice? Can you repair relationships or if you're getting to default, is that now time that you need to start coaching to resale? Like, is that, like, can you recover from that? Well, I, you know, a couple of things there too, right? Sometimes it doesn't even matter what your agreement says. You need to check, check state franchise relationship laws. Your, your agreement may say you could do everything. The state laws may prohibit you from doing that. So if you're not cautious, your default notice or your termination may actually be a franchise violation. You may have shot yourself in the foot, right? So that's a problem. Um, can you rebound? I think you need to be very cautious. You know, you don't go to level 10 with your default notices. You build a pathway and hopefully between level one and five, you could have that rebound. Once you get past that, uh, then you, you know, you need to go to level 10, but you really should try to avoid it. So you're clearly your advice to franchisors is do everything you can not to sue your franchisee. Do obviously you create the paper trail, but try to walk away in a, in a let's let's just say it didn't work out model, no lawsuits. On the franchisee side, a franchisee, I would imagine a franchisee lawsuit is built around two categories. One is uh, probably item 19, false, false uh, expectations. Um, or there's a group of franchisees where the franchisor has done something to impact the business where there's a group of them that are like, we gotta get, get the franchisor back. Are those, are those the main ones? Yeah, so, so let, let's go through that. Um, let me just add one thing. Sure, I, I don't want to sue. Someone violates non-compete or they breach your confidentiality or breach your IP, sue them like there's no tomorrow, make an example out of them, right? Um, ironically, a really good item 19 will inhibit lawsuits if it's done the right way, right? Let's get away from the generic nonsense of, like, I'll read some item 19s. I really don't even know what they're talking about, right? But if you really fine tune your item 19, you're going to cut down issues. Um, what creates um, a biggest generator? What attracts? Let's, let, let's look at franchisee plaintiff's attorneys like mosquitoes. Like, what attracts them? What's the light? One, if they could find a technical violation. You weren't registered, right? You didn't disclose the FDD the right way. They love that. Next would be um, not necessarily a, well, poor item 19, or they have the email where you gave them numbers outside of the FDD. They love that. Or just a group of unsuccessful franchisees that have grouped up together. 
and promising, you know, so I think plaintiff's lawyers focus on what's the easiest route and where's the most money. So for an emerging franchisor, it may not be the most money, but if it's an easy route, they'll take a shot at it. I have, I have two more categories of questions because I think this is stuff that people would be curious about. The average, so for a franchisor to sue the franchisee, like what kind of expense are we looking at too against the business? Well, again, nine out of 10 times I don't recommend it, but when you do, it's usually not that expensive if it's done right because usually they settle. Right, a friend, you know, they'll settle, and so maybe you spent twenty five thousand um, to enforce your non compete, file an order to show cause. It's worth every dollar because now it goes through the system that they sued him and he complied, and now when your FDD is, hey, someone breached our our non compete, we sued him, uh, we didn't receive money, but they've complied with the non compete. You've just made your system stronger. All right, so that, that would be an example of a good litigation if it came to it that would be in your FDD. Yeah, really good. And that's marketable. You're like, we protect our trademark or our IP. Okay, what about a franchisee suing the franchisor? Like, what could that set them back? This is where it's tough. You know, as a lawyer for franchisors, what blows me away, Nick, I've seen plaintiff's lawyers sue franchisors for the most outrageous claims, like ridiculous, in my opinion, they'd have no shot at winning. So I'm like, what's their motivation? And then I naturally assume it's to make money, but then I find out they're doing it on contingency. So what happens is, is that I'd say about at least half the franchisee lawsuits are done on contingency, or at least 75% are done on a hybrid contingency with some payments by a group of franchisees. So that's harmful because the economics are out of whack. Franchisees aren't really. Um, and then I see that the uh, plaintiff's lawyers, they don't even care if they have a bad claim, if they think they could get some money. I mean, I saw one plaintiff's lawyer sue. His client didn't even sign the franchise agreement or actually sign the franchise agreement, never opened the location. And he was suing for, the wages the person gave his client gave up from an at-will employment job. I'm like, but they sued, right? And it impacted the franchisor because, you know, you have to pay for legal fees. Um, and it was contingency. It was a horrible lawsuit, which then gets the other point of the E&O insurance for startup franchisors. There's some value there, you know, when it gets too expensive. But, you know, I know I'm throwing out a bunch of things, which normally I don't like talking about legal. On, uh, I think this is good stuff, though. Okay, yes. so, so now on to the supplier side. So a supplier sues a franchisor for uh, breach of contract, not 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 paying their bills. Why does that not go in the FDD? Shouldn't that be a red flag back to buyers that they're not paying the bills to the suppliers that are impacting the brand? I don't think so. Um, look, if a franchisor is not paying because of their financial condition, that would be reflected in their financial statements in the FDD. Um, I think it would get too confusing for franchisees, right? Um, so I don't, I don't think it should go in there. So bottom line, your advice to everybody as a lawyer is just get along, don't sue. Unless there's a breach of trademark or uh, IP. 
Yeah, and, and Nick, if you prepare to go to battle, chances are you don't go to battle, right? The other side stands down. So if my theory is if someone hits us at level one, we prepare to hit them back at level 10. Along the way from the FDD, the franchise agreement, we're preparing it in a way not only to cover our legal boxes, but if we're standing before a judge and we're asking him or her to do something, like what's going to be that motivation and give us the edge, right? But you have to prepare as if we have to go to war because here's how I evaluate everything. Five, two, five, ten years from now, what happens when you want to invoke your exit strategy, take in private equity, we go under due diligence, or we sell. You always have to look at the end game, and that's what I focus on, even for our startup franchisors. All right, but the real end conclusion is everything that I just heard from you. Like, even you get down to the finish line and a judge, uh, you might not be able to collect the fees. You talked about, like, even the situation of spending $25,000 to protect your, your IP. There's only one group of human beings that wins at all of this, and that's you people. <laughs> I don't win at that. I don't want a part of it. Right? But I will, but, you know, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So for anybody that's watched this, uh, I think we'll, we'll have a lot of good materials that come out of this. Uh, don't sue. Be nice. Just just be kind. Let's spread it.